0: How many of you were alive in 2004? That should be most of us live in 2004. Uh, in 2004, uh, you could have purchased Google stock at its initial public offering for $85 a share. On Friday, it was trading at around $1,200 a share. 2004, you could have had $85 a share, $1,200 on Friday. Uh, how many of you were alive in 1997? Yeah, yeah, m- most, most of us still. In 1997, you could have purchased Amazon stock at their initial public offering for $18 a share. Amazon trading Friday at around $1,800. Let's do the math, carry the one, two more zero. Yeah, that's, that, would, that would have been a good investment. $18 a share in 97, $1,800 a share Friday. Should we keep going? <laughs> yeah. uh, who was alive in 1986? Yes, it was a very good year. Yes, that's the year I graduated high school. 1986, if you had been so inclined, it's an, the initial public offering of Microsoft happened. And you could have purchased shares of Microsoft in 1986 for $25 a share. 1980? Alive? Yeah? In 1980 for $22 a share at its initial public offering, you could have purchased Apple stock for $22 a share, and you do not want to know what Microsoft and Apple would have resulted in if you had if you had invested $1,000 in either one of them, let alone both of them. We're talking about regrets, and we've talked so far about regrets as it relates to decisions we made at some point in the past that we wish we hadn't made. Actions we took, words we spoke, people we dated, uh, places we went, things we engaged in, uh, that now, looking back, we wish we never would have done that. But the reality is, it is quite possible that at the end of your life, those will not be your greatest regrets. That your greatest regrets will not be the things you did that you wish you hadn't, but the things you didn't do that you wish you had. And there's a good bit of uh, writing on it. I I don't know if the the research is anecdotal or scientific or a mix of both, but there's a good bit of writing about how... We, as humans, initially early in our life, our biggest regrets are the things we did. The things that we did early in our life. But as we get older, our regrets begin to transition. And by the end of our life, our biggest regrets are those things that we had the opportunity to do and we didn't. We could have bought stock. We could have done this. We could have taken this particular step. We could have gone through this particular door. We could have taken a certain risk. We could have tried something new, and we never did, and we kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and then the opportunity passed us by. We even, we even have an acronym for it. It's called FOMO. Are you familiar with FOMO? Fear of missing out. Right? Now, typically we use the acronym FOMO to describe people who, in an unhealthy, obsessive way, are constantly looking at social media or trying to figure out what the latest trend is or what the the uh, popular place to go is, the popular restaurant to eat at or the popular thing to say or the popular thing to post on your social media. Okay, so they have this fear of missing out, so they're constantly obsessively looking. for What is everybody talking about? What is everybody into these days? Obviously, an unhealthy way to live your life, but in a not-so-unhealthy way, I, I, I think most of us realize that it is possible to stop short of opportunities and then to look back and sort of kick ourselves and ask, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I try it? I wonder what, ha- what would have happened if I had. Have you ever had that conversation with yourself looking back? I wonder if I had made this decision instead of that decision, if I had gone forward instead of retreating. Now, often we do this because of fear or because we want to be overly cautious, and we'll talk about fear a little bit uh, later on. Sometimes I I think we hold back. We don't take the steps that we could take because we have a certain picture of ourselves and who we are and... This is who I am and this is the future that I see for myself and this is what I think I'll be doing and this is kind of how I see the long-term me. And so if something presents itself that doesn't fit within that picture, we become cautious or fearful or we just dismiss it out of hand. Well, that's not me. I'm not going to try that. I I don't fit into that particular picture. For, For whatever the reason, most of us, look back at our life at some point and say, I wish I would have at least tried it. I, I wish, I-, I would like to know what would have happened. The best example, I think, in the Bible of this is a story about the Hebrew children. They were slaves in Egypt God brings them out under the leadership of Moses, performs all kind of miracles. Stunning things happen as they escape slavery in Egypt, and they make their way to Canaan or the promised land where God was going to resettle His people. Now, His people had already been there. Abraham lived there, and Jacob and Isaac, they all lived in the land, and then they went to Egypt and spent 400 years in in Egypt, God is going to take His people back to the promised land, and there, there, there's an interesting point at which they have to decide, are we going to go forward or are we going to go back? Are we going to say yes, or are we going to hesitate? Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to read the story from uh, today. It's the fourth book of the Bible. If you want to follow along in, in your translation, it'll be on the screen. It's in the version app. Uh, Numbers is the fourth book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, there's a condensed version of the story that's told in Deuteronomy, which is Deuteronomy chapter 1, one, chapter, one book to the right. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 13. This is how it starts. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its Leaders. So, what's going to happen, they're at the border of this land that God wants them to settle in. And God tells Moses, I want you to send spies in, essentially, sort of a reconnaissance team. I want them to go get intel from the land. Look at the people, look at the places, look at the terrain. Go check it out. And then come back, and then we're going to go in. Then we're we're going to settle in the land. So they give the names of all the people in the next couple of verses, and then the instructions come in in verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So Moses gives them these instructions. And what's going to happen next is... They're going to spend six weeks, 40 days inside the land going from the, from the south to the north and back down. It's going to be a round trip of about 400 to 500 miles over these six weeks. And they're going to do what Moses said. They're going to look at the terrain. They're going to look at the people. They're going to look at the fruit. They're going to look at the, the, the crops that could be harvested. The soil, is it, is it good? Is it Just check everything out. And then they're going to come back and give a report. Now, the key, though, is in the first two verses that we read a minute ago. God says, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. So God is saying, before you go in, this is a done deal. I'm going to to put you in there. You're going to get in there. I'm going to take care of this for you. I am going to give you the land. That's not the question. The job of the spies was not to go into the land and decide whether they should take it or not. God had already decided that. God wasn't inviting them to go into the land and then come back and have a committee meeting and vote yes or no or abstain and the, the yeses are going to win or the noes are going to It was not a decision that they were going to make. God had already promised the land to them. Here's where regret comes into our lives, at least spiritually speaking. Regret comes when we forget what God has already said and already promised. We live with regret when we forget what God has already said and already promised. For most of the areas of our life, God has been very clear about what He wants for us. For most of the areas of our decision making, of our relationships, God has been very clear in His Word. This is what I want for your life. This is the person I want you to be. This is the character that I want you to have. This is the integrity I want you to live in. This is how I want you to treat one another. God has been very clear. And it's not not up to us to decide whether we agree with what God has said or not. It's up to us to live out what God has said. My life is not some grand experiment where I'm trying to figure out, do I trust God or not trust God? Do I believe God's words are true or not? God's words are true. Now, whether I believe it or not, whether, whether I live that way or not, what God has already said is true. My role is just to live that out. My role is just to obey, just, just to follow That was the role of the spies, not to make decisions, to go in, bring back a report, because God has already decided. Now, in in verses 21 through 25, we're told some specifics about where they went and what they did, and honestly, there's a lot of really hard to pronounce names and places and cities in 21 through 25, but the point of that section is that this was God reminding them of his presence with them? God reminding them specifically of his presence in the past. This was God saying, I've already been here. I, I know you haven't been here, but I've already been here. When they made this four or 500 mile trek, they found themselves walking where the patriarchs of their faith had walked. They found themselves walking where Abraham lived and Jacob and Isaac, walking past the tomb where Abraham and Sarah were were buried. These were stories that their parents had told them and stories that they had told their kids. There's this place, the father of our faith is Abraham, and he left his home and he went to this place and he lived there and he lived in this city and he was buried in this cave, and they are now walking where those stories took place. It should have been. It should have been this confirmation from God. I brought your forefathers here. I brought your ancestors here, and I was with them. I will be with you. This was God reminding them of His presence in their life and in their future. Now, I think God was encouraging them to remember his faithfulness in two ways. One was that we, like the spies, we should be encouraged by the way God has worked in our life in the past. I mean, God wants to remind you of the times you made a big decision or you walked through a door and you weren't real sure what was on the other side and God was faithful. Has that happened to you? Like You trusted God, and you stepped out, and then you saw God be faithful. You saw Him show up. You you saw Him work things out. You you, you knew that He was with you. For me, one of the most helpful things in decision-making, especially um, when I'm uncertain, is remembering how God has led me in the past. What are the sort of things God has said to me in the past when I made a big decision? How has God confirmed big decisions in my life in the past if there've been decisions where i said no or i stepped back how did god let me know that i was supposed to say no those of us who raised our hand we've been uh, we were around in 86 we were around in 80 we were around before those that group of us if you've been a believer for most of that time then you have a history with god like you've you've prayed prayers and and you've you've watched god answer those prayers And sometimes you've prayed prayers and God didn't answer, and you learn things from that. You've made big decisions with God. And when you and I come up to the border of a new decision, when you and I come up to the door of a brand new decision, it is helpful to walk back through the way God has led us in the past. So we should be encouraged by our past. But we should be encouraged by the way God has worked throughout history. In other words, bigger picture, not just in your life, that's helpful, uh, that's personal. But bigger picture, we have story after story in God's Word, just like this one, where people obeyed God and God was faithful or people disobeyed God and experienced consequences. People stepped out in faith. They did something daring. They did something that nobody thought they could do, but they knew God was leading them. And God showed up. God blessed them. You have people around you probably, if you've been in church very much or you've been a follower of Jesus for very long. You have people around you who have made really big decisions in their life and you've watched how God has shown up in those decisions. You've walked with friends who were trying to decide this or that, and they prayed, and they saw where God was leading, and they stepped out, and God was faithful. God's trying to encourage these spies. He's not trying to demoralize. He's not trying to discourage them. He's trying to say, look, I've been here before. I can handle this. You can trust me. You saw me work miracles when you came out of Egypt. You've told the stories about Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac again and again. I'm the same God. Fast forward a couple thousand years, and God's the same God in your life today. God isn't going to ghost you in the middle of your big decision you're not going to take this huge step of faith and God's going to disappear. You're going to stop here. You're going to stop sensing Him. He's going to stop giving you... That that isn't going to happen. The history of God is we walk with Him, we step with Him, we we take risks with Him, and God is with us. God's not looking at your life and going, I have never seen somebody in this circumstance before. That's, That's not God. God doesn't... Ask Moses to come. Moses, you ever seen anything like this? I've never seen anything like this decision they're trying. God can handle what you're going through. God can handle this decision. And this trek through the promised land was supposed to be God's way of saying, I'm here. I got this. You can trust me. I've done this before. This is nothing new to me. That's what God's saying in your life. If If you're in the middle of a big decision and you feel like God's telling you to move forward, God is saying, I've done this before. Is it my first time? I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to walk away from you. I'm with you. But not only did God remind them of His presence, God reminded them of His promises in the past. In other words, you you can depend on God. I can count on God. In, In the next couple of verses, the spies go through the valley of Eshkol. Eshkol is a Hebrew term transliterated into the English, and it means um, cluster. They walked through Cluster Valley, uh, literally. We read earlier it was the season for grapes to be ripe. And so God walks them through this lush valley full of grapes just as all the grapes are are fully ripe. And, And it was God's way of saying, remember what I told you about this place? I told you it was, and the, and the phrase is, flowing with milk and honey just means full of good things. I told you this place was full of good things. Am I right? Am I right? You see? Look around. You see? My promises can be trusted. Now, the description says when, when they got into the Cluster Valley that somebody cut off a single cluster of grapes, and it took two guys and a pole. To haul it out of there. I've been to Kroger many times. I have bought grapes. I have never had to ask for assistance to get them to the car. I've never said, can you call one of the bag boys? Because I can't get these grapes to the minivan. I've never had that problem in my whole life. The spies go in, they cut one cluster of grapes, and it takes two of them to get them to the minivan and get them back home. Now, this wasn't God showing off. This was God saying, I told you this was going to be good. I told you that I'm with you. I told you that I'm going to bless you. My promises are true. Now, let's be honest. God doesn't always tell us everything, and God doesn't always give us certainty. I like certainty. I like assurance. I like to know. I do not like uncertainty. I don't like having to wait or wonder. I like all the details arranged, all of my questions answered. I don't like there to be any fog. The reality is in the big decisions of our life, God almost never gives us certainty. He gives us His presence. He gives us His promises. He gives us our history with Him and His history with all people and says, you can trust me. The problem for some of us is that some of us don't want God as much as we want certainty. We don't want to trust God as much as we want to know for sure, God when I know for sure, which means I'm worshiping certainty more than i'm worshiping god god comes to the spies and he doesn't give them certainty but he gives them evidence he gives them his presence he gives them his promises so they finish up get their grapes they get back home and they bring a report Back to Moses and the people. Joshua and Caleb, if you remember, gave a great report. We should do this, absolutely. It's just the way God said. God's going to give it to us. Let's go in. But in verse 27, here's what the rest of the spies said. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak. There And it was a race of people that genetically, they were just really big. They were huge. You would refer to them as giants. They they were just really big people and warriors. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said... The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And then, beginning in chapter 14, they take all of their fear, and they decide, we just want to go back to Egypt. We're just going to pick a different leader. And we just want to go back to Egypt. It's it's one of the strange things about new opportunities and fear. And, And that is that fear about moving forward can cause us to misrepresent the past. You ever know people who did that? Like they left something that was a terrible situation, a bad relationship, A bad job, terrible opportunity, but then when it came time to move forward, suddenly that other thing wasn't so bad after all. Their fear of moving forward caused them to misremember, misrepresent all of the challenges of the past. That's what the spies are doing. Let's just go back to, you were slaves in Egypt. You were miserable in Egypt. Why would you want to go back to Egypt except for the fact you have a fear of going forward? And that fear of going forward is sending you back to a time that you hated. Fear can be a very dangerous emotion in us. In decision-making in particular, fear can be a very dangerous emotion. It it plays on all of our insecurities, all of our what-ifs, all of our worst-case scenario thinking. Fear preys on all of that. Here's one of the things fear did in this story and I think does in our lives. Fear causes us to maximize our doubts and minimize our God. Maximize all the things that could go wrong. Well, this could happen and that could happen. They could take our wives and our children. The land could devour us. There are giants over there. There's all of these enemies over there. We look like grasshoppers. Talk about maximizing your fears. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. They will squish us. They're going to kill all of us. That's what fear and insecurity does. It causes us to maximize our doubts, maximize our fears, and minimize our faith in the God that got us to this point minimize the one who has promised to be with us. So, so they begin to have fear, and then they talk themselves into more fear. You, you know everybody who's ever done this? They started out with a concern, and then that concern became doubt, and that doubt became fear, and that fear became ten fears. And every time you talk to them, it was a bigger story and a bigger concern, and a bigger, everything's falling apart. This is what's happening. They're talking themselves into greater fear about what they might experience at the next stage. Now, now let's be fair, and, and let's, let's be honest. Going into the promised land had its challenges. I mean, they weren't just going to walk in there and, and kick everybody out, and everybody was going to leave. There were, there were real obstacles. And that was part of the reason why God sends them in, I think. I, I want you to see that this is going to take a commitment on your part you're going to have some obstacles to overcome. And there's some pretty big people over there. There's some warriors in there. Some of the terrain is going to be tricky. There's a hill country, and those are going to be difficult battles when we get to that point. God's going to give you the land, but yeah, there are going to be some real struggles along the way. God's not trying to convince them that this is going to be easy. If you read the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua is all about when the people come back and actually go into the country, and it's full of battles, and it's full of challenges. God wasn't trying to hide all of that. I, I think what God was trying to do is the challenges the spies saw were not meant to prevent them from going into the country. The challenges were meant to prepare them for going into the country. It was God's way of saying, I don't want you to back down. I just want you to know what we're getting into. I don't want you to quit. I just want you to understand, I'm not promising this whole thing's going to be easy. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to fight battles for you, and I'm going to tell you the strategy when we get to the hard parts. There are going to be challenges... And those challenges are not meant to keep us from moving forward. They're meant to prepare us for going forward. God never promises a new opportunity or a new stage that comes without some some challenges. And I think we misinterpret that sometimes. We look at the possibilities of a change, of any kind of cha- or following God into something, or starting a new something, and we look at all of the challenges, and spiritually speaking, there can be this tendency to say, well, if this is from God, then I wouldn't see all of those challenges. Well, if this is from God, then there wouldn't be any obstacles. That's not at all what we find in this story. God says, do going to be tough. You're you're going to have some obstacles, but I'm with you, and I want you to do this. We're going to go in. He wasn't trying to prevent them from going in. He was trying to prepare them for going in. Another challenge with fear is that fear is contagious. We read the story. The spies come back. They're fearful and negative, and they spread that fear to everybody in the nation. They spread a bad report to all of the other people, and few things are as contagious as fear. There are very few more potent viruses than fear. Just scroll through social media and see how many appeals there are to fear. Politicians have figured this out. 2020 election is about to start. That's going to be a whole lot of fun, All right? It's it's about to kick off. It's already kicked off. Just, I'm so excited. Um, everybody's campaign, by and large, is built on fear. Because they know what stirs people up is fear. If I can make you afraid, then then you'll get on my side. You'll get you'll get excited about this. You'll you'll be in because you're afraid. Our our The news media, they've all figured out the easiest way to get an emotional reaction from people is fear. Fear is is sometimes paralyzing in decision making. It keeps us from moving forward. Fear is not only contagious from one person to another. It spreads really, really easily. If I'm afraid, I can pretty easily make you afraid by the way I present my arguments, by the language that I use. I I can spread fear to other people, but I think fear is contagious within an individual life as well. This is what I mean. If I give in to fear and let fear be the dominant influence over one decision in my life, I'm going to be more likely to allow fear to be the dominant influence in the next decision, and the next decision, and the next decision. And what happens is I stop making decisions. I stop moving forward. I, come, I become paralyzed because I keep making decisions out of fear or not making decisions out of fear. One of the problems I've found... In wrestling through fear, see if you agree with this, fear can sometimes sound like wisdom. This is part of the problem with discerning what it is I'm really feeling. What am I making this decision? What's the basis from which I'm making this decision? It can be challenging because fear very often sounds a lot like wisdom. Because it will say, I think we need to be cautious. You don't need to take on too much risk. Mm, I think we need to study this a little more. Let's come back in six months and study this again. Now is not a good time. I think we should wait. Now, all of those things could be wisdom. Sometimes it is the wise thing to slow down. Sometimes it is the wise thing to press pause. The problem is, fear sounds exactly like that. Fear translates its language sometimes into the language of wisdom. Well, I think we should slow down. I think you need to be cautious. And opportunities present themselves, and then they're gone because we were fearful. When you and I are tempted to delay, when we feel that, that, that impulse to slow down or delay or to say no, we really need to wrestle through the question, is this wisdom speaking or is this fear speaking? Am I making this decision? Am I pressing pause? Am I stepping away because I'm afraid or because I believe this is the wise thing to do? Now, As a result of being led by fear, the Hebrew children decide not to go into the land that God was going to give them. Uh, With the exception of Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, everyone else was against it. Their fear spread throughout the nation and the Israelites pulled back. As a result, some of you know how the story goes, as a result... They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. A whole generation of people died off. Anyone who was 20 or older at that point, when they pulled back, anyone who was 20 or older died in the wilderness and never saw the promised land. This huge consequence came on the nation. A couple of thoughts. Not every missed opportunity comes with a 40-year punishment, okay? Okay. Aren't you glad that's not the point of the story? The point of the story is if you missed an opportunity last week, it's going to be 40 years before you get another. That's not the story. I'm pretty sure God's not waiting on some of you to die before He does something big and great. That's not the point of the story. Not every missed opportunity comes with this huge punishment from God. But I want to balance that thought with, because that's true, I want to balance that thought with there are some missed opportunities that you don't get back. Maybe there's not a 40-year punishment, but there are some missed opportunities that if you miss that moment, it's gone, and you're not going to get that exact opportunity. Again, there there are a lot of examples, and I don't want to give too many examples, so I, I picked the easiest one um, because I'm a scaredy cat. But I, I picked the easiest one that I think makes the most sense. But you can apply it across a lot of different decisions that, that we don't get back. And the obvious one is parenting. There is se- once you pass a season of parenting, you don't get that season back. If you have little ones, if you have babies. If you have toddlers, three, four. Five-year preschool. If you have preschoolers, this is the only preschool season you get with your kids. It's the only one you get. You don't get to redo this stage. I know it's exhausting. I know they're demanding. They're little tyrants, right? Like they're always demanding stuff, and you have to load up the car. Like you take half the house everywhere you go. When when they're that, I, I know you you don't get that back. Our our kids. They're gonna go through middle school one time. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Praise, praise God. I mean, it's a hard time. They're transitioning, they're trying to figure out how to be growing a little older and, and puberty and hormones, and they notice girls and boys and the, all of that stuff. They smell, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing's going on in middle school. I get it. I got that one shot. High school's gonna come, those of us who are on this end. Now, high school's gonna come, Is gonna be going like that. If you look back and think, well, you know, they really got out of diapers quick. Just wait till high school. Just like my, my wife and I are, most of you know, we're, we're on the end where we're transitioning to trying to relate to our kids as, as young adults two in college, one's a junior in high school. And we, we don't get to do 14 again. With any of them. We don't get to do 15 again. We don't get to do eight with any of them again. Just, just one example. This opportunity comes. God puts you in a place, God puts you in a role, and it's going to come into your life, and then it's going to be gone. And you're not going to get it back. So step into the land. Right? Step into that moment that God has given you that is passing. My other thought on that, if you did miss an opportunity, just start now. Just start now. Whatever that opportunity was, I mean, you think about it in in two ways. Most missed opportunities, they present themselves again later on. If, If you look back on your life, and this, this isn't true for everybody, so this isn't like I'm telling you what God wants. But there, there are people who look back at middle age and say, I, I wish I'd gotten my degree. Start. And if that's still what you feel you should do, start. Sign up for the online course. Find a degree program that you could do while you're, you're working the rest of your life. Start. There's something you felt like you were supposed to do 5, 10, 20 years ago, and you pulled back. Most of those things are still available to you today. You could start today. Even parenting. If you're at a point in your parenting life and you look back and you, you have a lot, I wish I would have, if I had only, I should have done this better, I wish I would have done that you can't go back, like we talked about last week, you can't rewind the DVR and back up into that moment and change. You can't go back, but you can start now. Wherever you are in that spectrum, you can apologize. You can say, I'm sorry, I wish I would have done things differently, but as much as you'll let me, I, I want to be the dad that I can be right now. I mean, if you missed it, start. Some of you, perhaps, God planted um, an impulse, a desire, a dream of a way that He would use you to help other people. Maybe that's serving with kids or serving with teenagers. Maybe that's mentoring someone. And, and you pushed it back, start now. We have so many wonderful foster care families in our church, and so, so you hear about fostering a lot here, and maybe there have been just moments where in your heart you thought, God wants me to check on that. God wants me to go to the training. God God wants me to get more information. And and you just keep pushing aside, pushing it aside, pushing... There's still plenty of foster kids in Georgia. There's still plenty. If you've been saying no for five years, there's, there's plenty today if you want to start that process. You've heard Pam Parrish's story of connection homes and, and mentoring young adults who aged out of foster care without a significant relationship in their life. And you've heard that story and you've seen some videos. And there was a time that something kind of peaked in your heart, but you said, no, that, that's going to be too much or it's not a good time for me. I mean, if, that, if God still wants that, you can start now. You can do something now. Maybe God put missions on your heart, some way to serve our community, and you just keep pushing back and pushing back. Well, start now. Or maybe, maybe you stepped into the land, and it was a lot harder than you thought, and you've, you've thought about quitting. And maybe the message of no regrets today for you is hang in there. Don't quit. Don't stop. I know you're tired. I know you didn't see all the giants that were going to be in the land. I know you didn't understand all the battles. I know you didn't know how hard it was going to be. Don't quit. There's a a phrase I read a while back, and it just rolls around in my head uh, from time to time. I don't know who came up with it. I don't know who said it, but it it was the question, what would happen if I didn't quit? Simple question. What, What would happen if I just hung in there a little while longer? What would happen if I didn't walk away at this point, but I just kept moving forward? That will take courage. That will take faith. That will at times take us pushing back on our fear. But what do you need to do today so that you don't someday regret not doing anything? What do you need to do today so that five years from now you don't look back at this moment of your life and think, If only I had back then. I wonder what would have happened if I had said yes five years ago. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. A grace that leads us up to borders. Leads leads us up to the edge of a land Let's just look in, look around, see the goodness, even see the obstacles. And then you say, let's go take it. Let's go do it. There'll be challenges. We can handle it. We are a fearful society. We are fearful people at times who shrink back, give us courage, give us faith. Help us to trust you. Help us to move forward. For somebody here, help them not to quit. Help them not to walk out. On the calling you've put on their life. Maybe it's their marriage. Maybe it's their role as a parent. Maybe it's where you've put them vocationally in their job. Not true for everybody, but there may be somebody That you're posing the question, what might happen if you don't give up right now? What might happen if you just keep moving forward? Help us to walk in faith and walk in courage. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.